Hi. Good morning. So uh, we're in a series called Hang On. We're going through the book of Luke. We've been taking the last few years to go through this book, and we break it into smaller chunks. This chunk we're calling Hang On. And today we're going to be looking at the next section, which is Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. This is the very end of chapter 12, and chapter 13 is like a crazy ride, and we're going to be going through that next week. Um, this part of the Bible, this part of the book of Luke is pretty controversial. So I'm going to be walking us through verse by verse to make sure that we understand what was meant by the words that were written by Luke. Okay, so <clears throat> let me kind of set, set up for you guys. Um, so when, so I don't know if you've been in a situation like this before, but um, you're talking to somebody and they're just freely expressing their mind to you and they're using some <clears throat> foul language here and there and they're get, telling stories to you that are like, inappropriate, but you're just enjoying the fact that they're open and they're comfortable around you, right? And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, this person doesn't know I'm a pastor, or this person doesn't know I'm a Christian. And at the minute I tell them that, they're going to be like, oh, okay, well, I'm not comfortable around you anymore, so I'm going to use the proper words and not use that story anymore. And it's like, if I were to tell you, if the first word that I had for you was, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, for some reason you feel like I would never have known this person's, like, genuine self. You, you know what I'm talking about? How people all of a sudden start filtering themselves once they find out that you're a Christian, especially if you're a pastor, you know, like a professional Christian. All of a sudden, they feel like, like, oh, uh, hello, you know, uh, and they feel like they have to use some old King James version of English, like, how th- art thou? You know, like, and so, uh, I, and for some reason, I feel like there's, a, there's this a mentality that we have when we talk to people that we just met that you kind of want to leave out the fact that you're a Christian. And the reason is because there's a reputation out there that Christians are supposed to act a certain way. And for some reason, we have to act a certain way in front of Christians. Are you guys with me here? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? So, um, and this is a really interesting concept because that means that the world already has a set stereotype and a reputation set for Christians. Like what's acceptable to them? you know, them, You're like those, those Christians over there, weird people, like we need to act a certain way because we don't want to offend them, or if we don't use the right words, they might judge us, you know, so Christians are pretty uptight, and at least that's the reputation that's in the world, I don't know if you heard, right, and so I thought, Maybe if you were to say, hey, let's, let's say you've been coming to church and you're like, I'm interested in becoming a Christian, but maybe that's the thing that's holding you back. You're like, I, I don't know if I want to be a Christian because if I were to become one, then I might become one of those stereotypical Christians. I, want to, I don't want to be them and add whatever other stereotype Christians have. You know, like they have bad hair or, <laughs> um, uh, you know, they, they ha- they're... I don't know, whatever. They're conservative and they always vote right and whatever the reputation is. And they're like, I don't want to be one of them. So I'm just going to, you know, I'll have Christian friends, but I'll just stay away from actually becoming one. And I think that stems from the idea that, you know, being a Christian might involve some things, some baggage that you don't want associated with you. And one of the baggage that I think that comes with being a Christian or the reputation is this, that has your faith caused division with others? right? Like one day you were like, I'm not a Christian, and today now you are, and all of a sudden people are like, oh, I don't want to be with you. Or maybe you're the one that says, I don't think I should be with you. And all of a sudden you're starting to see division, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was all about unity. Like I thought, I thought this Christianity thing was about bringing people together. Why is, is Christianity all of a sudden about division? And so Jesus talks about this, and it, the way that he addresses this is really interesting, because the way he addresses this is not 
Oh, yeah, yeah, we're all about unity. But he actually brings up an interesting point saying that, well, maybe it's a little of both. And so we're going to explore that today. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. And the first verse we're going to go through is controversial from the get-go. And so we're going to take our time to look at the first verse, and then we'll move along from there. Verse 49. I, this is Jesus speaking, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. He's like, I want to burn this earth down. <laughs> I, like, does, does that sound like Jesus to you? <laughs> is, is Jesus the kind of God that's like, you know what, I just can't wait for this world to be burnt up. Now, especially with the fires that happened this past, these past few days, we look at that and say, is that what Jesus wishes upon us? Like, not does he just wish it upon us, he wishes that it was already so. I mean, that's what it sounds like when he says this, right? And I think part of it is that we understand this verse through the stereotypical, you know, like what pop culture has taught us about, about what God is like. Because when we read it, we think God wants to destroy this earth. But when people read it 2,000 years ago, when it was originally written on the other side of the globe, that's not how they understood this verse. I'll, I'll give you a quote from a, from a professor of New Testament. This is what he said. He says, no doubt here and there in scripture, fire stands for a symbol of destroying power. Yeah, like Sodom and Gomorrah, burning up, right? We see that happen over and over again. But in the book of Luke, if you believe that Luke was the one who wrote this, he doesn't use fire primarily as a thing that's associated with destruction. But that is less frequent use <clears throat> but that is a f- less frequent use than that in which it stands as a symbol of life. In very real sense, life is warmth and death is cold. Fire, as Luke would use it, okay, usually represents something good. So when Jesus says, I want to bring fire upon this earth, he's not saying, I hope everybody dies. <laughs> I hope every home burns down. I hope every tree is gone. That's not how, what Jesus means here. He's saying, I want to bring something like fire here on earth. Now, if you believe that Luke wrote the book of Luke and that he also wrote, wrote his sequel, which is called the book of Acts, you'll know that when, he, when the fire comes to earth, it represents the Holy Spirit, that God wants to bring something powerful on earth that benefits many, many people. And this is the image that Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want to bring something good on earth, okay, something good that people could benefit from, okay? And you know what? I wish it so much. I wish it was already here. The quote continues. He says this, and it's not the premise, I will send fire on the earth, the assurance that in the midst of our death, there shall come the quick energy of the living spirit, which shall give us, the, give us to possess some shadow of the immortal being from which itself flows. Like, so this professor, he's saying, guys, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about giving us power. He's talking about giving us the ability to love people who are hard to love. He's talking about something good. When Jesus says, I wish that there is fire on this earth, he's not saying, I wish all you guys were dead. He's not saying, I wish all of you guys were punished. He's saying, I want to bring the Holy Spirit. I want to bring life to you guys because in the, in the New Testament, warmth represents life and cold represents death. So let's look at that verse again. Verse 9, uh, 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth. I, I've come to bring the Holy Spirit on earth. I want to bring something good on earth. I want to bring the presence of God here on earth and how I wish it was already here. How I wish that you guys already were experiencing the fullness and the love and the joy and the, the creative power of God. I want you to experience it right now. I wish that you had it. Well, what's holding you back from giving it to us right now, Jesus? Somebody might ask. Oh, the very next verse. Verse 50. But I have a baptism to undergo. And by baptism, he's not talking about going underwater and coming up and saying, yay. You know, what he's saying here is, 
and baptism is the Greek word, because this is written in Greek, is the word baptizo, which means to submerge, to go under, to be fully immersed in as you go down. He's talking about his suffering. He's talking about, I wish I could give you the Holy Spirit right now, but before that happens, I have to suffer. I have to die. I have to be scorched. I have to die on the cross. I have to get nails pounded into my hands. I need to put on this crown of thorns. Crown, thorn, I'm sorry. Okay, wait. Crown of thorns, right? Yeah, okay, crown of thorns. Sorry, prepositions were getting mixed up, right? I need to go through all of that, and then after that, you can have this fire that I'm talking about. He says, but I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraints I am under until it is completed. He says, I have something great for you guys. It's really, really, really good. It's a game changer. People are going to talk about God in a different way, but before we get to that, before I get to the great reveal, before I get, get to the, the big gift, the present that I'm going to give to you, I have to suffer. And then the people around him are just watching him as he teaches this. And they're like, what do you mean you have to suffer? What, what, what do you mean? Well, I thought everything was going to be hunky-dory. I thought everything was going to be fine. What, what do you mean you have to go under this baptism, this suffering, this, this pouring out of blood? What, what do you mean by that? Jesus is like, are you surprised by that? Right? Are you surprised? Okay, well, let me... And so he goes into teaching mode, which is the part that I like the most. He says this, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? To which we would say, uh, yeah. And by the way, the word peace, because even though it was written in Greek, Jesus is Jewish, okay, so who, he was speaking in Aramaic Jewish language, okay, and that was translated to Greek and it was recorded for us in Greek. <clears throat> in the Hebrew language, Jesus is using the word shalom. Did you think... Do, do you think I came here to bring shalom? Shalom means not like, you know, an absence of chaos. That's not what peace, that's what, how we use the word peace. But back then, the word peace meant everything is exactly as God intended. He's like, did you think I came t- to this earth to set everything straight? To which we say, yes, that's, I thought that was a deal. As a matter of fact, in the book of Luke, if you go all the way back to chapter 2, when Jesus is about to be born, right, all the angels came and he said, hey, you know, there's going to be peace to all, all mankind because of this baby. So like, yeah, we, we're pretty sure you're here for peace, Jesus, right? And Jesus is like, yes, but no. Well, no, what do you mean by no? Because there's a byproduct. There's something that comes attached to the peace that I bring. And it's actually the, it's actually the opposite of peace. It's like, I'm going to bring peace, but with this peace I bring, there's going to be a not peace that's attached to it. What, what does that mean? Let's continue. He says, no, I tell you, I, I came here to bring division. Division? Wait a minute. Isn't that the opposite of what did, you know, that angel that showed up in front of us before you were born said you came here to bring unity. You came here to bring peace. You came here to bring shalom. But now you're saying you're here to bring division? We'll explain that in a second. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. It's like, what? Well, what, Jesus, when you come, you're going to divide up our families? Well, I don't know if I want this good gift, this fire that you're talking about. What, what are you talking about? Jesus is like, well, I have more to say. Next, next verse. <clears throat> They'll be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. By the way, they don't say anything about father-in-law against son-in-law, so Stan, we're, we're good. Okay, so... <laughs> okay. <laughs> So what is going on here, right? What is going on here? Jesus is like, 
yeah, uh, <clears throat> as prophesied, I, I'm here to bring shalom, I'm here to bring peace, but I'm also here to bring division. W- what is Jesus talking about? So let's, let's summarize what we've read so far, okay? So first thing is that Jesus is bringing something good to this earth. They don't know exactly what it is back then. Today we know what it is with the Holy Spirit, right? They didn't know exactly what it is, but they're like, Jesus brings something amazing. Like, and he says, you know, this, that, that, and so we're like, we can't wait for this good thing to come here. What, what, come on, hurry, just bring it. Jesus like, I can't give it to you yet because I have to suffer and die first. But it's going to be here, and you'll be so excited when it's here. Okay? But then the second point he makes is, yeah, but this good thing will bring division amongst groups. What are you talking about? Well, there's, there's a few things we have to go over to help us understand this. Number one is that we have to understand the, the Hebrew language. In Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth, right? I love the book of Genesis, by the way. But, okay, God created the heavens and the earth, and then, and, you know, it says the world was formless and void. That means there's no shape and it was empty. And then the first three, verses, the first three days, God gives the formless world form. And the next three days, he fills that, because it was empty, with animals and birds and fish and all the good stuff, and then eventually us, right? In creating the world, <clears throat> if you notice, he doesn't always create You'll notice that, for example, when he wanted to create the sky, it says he took the waters and he separated, he divided the sky and the sea. And when he wanted to create land, it says he separated or divided the water from the land. The creation of the world is filled with the word separate or, or to divide. In the Hebrew language, to divide also means to gather. And I'll explain to you in a second what that means. So for God to gather the waters to one area... It's actually separating from where it was originally. So in the Hebrew language, at least ancient Hebrew language, the words separate and gather are one and the same word. It means the same thing. Because in order to separate, right, in order to gather, you're actually separating it. Does, does that? Okay, good. Okay, so when Jesus is saying, I have come to bring division, I'm here to separate. He's actually talking about, I'm here to gather, but in gathering, it might separate people from the gathering. Okay, so... I drew like a little diagram here. Okay, so let's just say there's two people in the family. Okay, we'll call them person left and person right, or left and right. Okay, and then one day Jesus comes to the person on the left and, you know, they start talking and then this person's like, oh man, this is really compelling. Jesus, you're calling me to do some, you're calling me to be generous? You're calling me to, to be sacrificial? You're calling me, you're telling me that I could be a part of the solution for this world rather than the problem and in order to do that, I have to follow you? oh, okay, and so, her next slide. So as Jesus starts to come into this person's life, you'll see that he's turning blue little by little, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, but you need, you want me to move my stuff? I don't know, okay, no, yeah, wait, actually, no, I do want to, yes, I'm going to follow you. And so he, he's like going back and forth, but he's like, yes, I'm all in, Jesus. I will follow you. I'll be, you know, I'll be generous from now on. I will, I will, you know, be sacrificial. I will think of others. I will love in the way that you love me. I'm going to do everything I can to follow you. okay. Other member of the family, Jesus comes to talk to this person, right? And this person's like, well, yeah, Jesus sounds compelling. Uh, yeah, what, teach me your ways, Jesus. So, so next slide. And so this person on the right, you know, it's like, yes, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, be generous. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. But okay, what, what do you, I have to give up everything? I, okay, you know what? I don't want to follow Jesus. And so the person on the right is living in the ways of Jesus, and the person on the a person on the left is living like Jesus. Person on the right is not. So when the person on the, le- on the left says, "Hey, um, I feel compelled. I feel like Jesus is calling me to take what we have that's excess and give it to the poor. There's people in need. I need to give this to the poor." Person over here is saying, "Yeah, but 
I was saving up for that yacht. I, I wanted that boat. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah, but we don't really need to have that boat. Like, there are people who are in need. Like, we, sh- we should give our money away. And the person is like, I'm saving up for the iPhone 12. It's coming out in a year. I need to save up now. And the person on the is like, but your phone right now is fine. Like, I don't think you need to do that. And, the, and, and they go back and forth, back and forth. And then it eventually comes down to this, is I have devoted to fo- my, my life to follow Jesus. When I see people hurting around me, my heart breaks in the same way that, that, that God's heart breaks. I need to do something about this. And the person over here is like, yeah, but you following Jesus is ruining my game. Like, it's... <laughs> I wanted this, I wanted that, and I can't have it anymore. And so, like that, as God tries to gather everybody, the people who say, I don't want to be a part of it, there starts to become this wall. Next slide. There's this division. And Jesus says, I'm he- I came here to gather. But in gathering, in some cases, it divides. Both were gathered by Jesus, but it's their free will to decide if they want to follow him or not. And because of that, there's bound to be division. In other words, a, a byproduct of his kingdom is separation. That's not the product. That's not the main point of Jesus' ministry. He's not here to say, ah, I'm here, I'm here to, to separate the family, break up relationships. He's like, that's not my point. I'm trying to bring everybody to something good. But the people who don't want that goodness, people who don't want their comfort to be disrupted, they tend to say, I don't want to be a part of it. And thus, a byproduct of the kingdom is separation, is division. Because one side wants sacrifice, generosity, but the other side, they want comfort. They want to hold on to their power. They want to hold on to the privilege that they have. But over here they're saying, there are people who are hurting. I think we need to be sacrificial in the way we live so that other people have a chance. It's like voting, right? When you vote, do you vote for yourself, like this is going to benefit me, or do you vote for what's best for the people around you? Yeah, we probably shouldn't go there. Okay, so we're not. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> so we go on to, Luke, to the next part of Luke, because Jesus goes into, it sounds like he's kind of being random here, but he'll make sense in a second. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And guess what? It does. <laughs> and when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Yeah, he's a weather forecast guy now. He's like, hey, uh, you can see the warm winds coming in from the south, and it's going to be a hot day. And guess what? It is, right? What is he talking about here? Well, next verse, he kind of clarifies. He said, hypocrites. Not a good way to make friends, by the way, when you call people hypocrites. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? He says, you guys, this is like an agrarian culture. People plant, people grow crops and stuff like that. And you guys look to the sky. You look at the clouds. You look at the sun. You, look, you feel the wind. You're like, nah, the wind's blowing this fast, and you know, I need to prepare for that. And you guys know how to look around you to be aware of the things around you, your surroundings, and prepare for it because you know what that means. And Jesus says, for those of you who've been following me for the past few years, you know exactly what's about to happen next. You've seen the Roman Empire rise in power 
You've seen them treat people like slaves. Like, we have more power, so we're going to be your master, you're going to be our slaves. It's like, you've seen the religious rulers, how they're outcasting the, the, the tax collectors, you know, and the prostitutes, and they're casting out the people who are not like them. Like, because they're Jews, they're saying, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, you're on the other side of that line. It's like, oh, you're a woman, then you have less worth than men because we have the power, right? And, and it's like, oh, you're sick? Oh, that's because God hates you, you know, so you're, you're cursed, you're over there. Healthy people like us, we stay on this side of the line, everybody else on that side. Jesus shows up and he says, if you're a slave, you join our group because for my eyes, there's no master or slave. If you're a Gentile, you could come and join our group because there is no Jew nor Gentile in my eyes. He says, if you're a woman, feel free to join our group because in God's eyes, there is no male nor female. Everybody is equal. Are you sick? It doesn't mean that God hates you. It's not that, it doesn't mean you're cursed. Here, let me heal you, right? If, if you're a tax collector, right, that means you cheated people out of money back then. Today, tax collectors, not so much, I don't know. Okay, like he's, right, he says, if you're a tax collector, no, you could join our group. You know, what, however the Holy Spirit convicts you, you give your money back to the people you took money from, go ahead and do that, but you're always welcome in our family. So you could see the world power rising in stature and getting stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger. Meanwhile, the kingdom of God through Jesus, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he said, if you are good at predicting the weather by looking around, you should be able to know what's going to happen next. Because here's the big powers of the world that they're living in that's rising up. And then you see God's kingdom starting to rise up. And you know eventually, if you're paying attention to the things that are happening around you, you know at one point they're going to clash. There's going to be a war, right? And just like the, the, the diagram I drew for you guys, right, there's going to come a time when somebody says, well, okay, which side should I join? I can't be in the middle anymore. I have to pick a side. Do I go on the side of Jesus or do I go on the side of the world? I don't know. Which side should I go on? And then Jesus asks this one question, which is the key question, the key verse for today's passage. Okay, this is what he says. Why don't you judge for yourself what is right? He says, you want to know which side you should be on? If it's a matter of convenience, obviously you're going to pick the side that, w- that works for you. In your case, it might be the Roman Empire because you know what? I'm a, I, I own slaves and, I, and my life is comfortable when I'm living as a part of the Roman Empire. Or if you're a Jewish religious leader back then, you're like, well, I'm going to choose the side of the Jewish religious leaders because through this, I get to be around people who are just like me, people who are men, people who are Jewish, people who aren't sick. I'm going to be on this side. But Jesus says, why don't you judge for yourself what is Right? You see, if you were to pick sides based on what benefits you, you might pick the other side. But he says, if you make a decision based off of what is right, what is righteous in the eyes of God, it's like, it's obvious that you always pick the kingdom of God's side. You will always pick the Jesus side. Yeah, it might hurt you a little bit. It might hurt your wallet a little bit. It might hurt your lifestyle a little bit. It might cause division. But you know that you're doing this for the betterment of the world. You're doing this because God has called you to, to, to something big. And so he says, if you pick the side of God, you might lose the power that you've enjoyed for so long. You might lose the benefits that you have for so long. But you know that by following Jesus, the world's going to be a better place. And if you pick what's right, you know you'll pick this side. If you pick what might be beneficial for you, you might pick the other side. This is why in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the people who are oppressed, the people who are poor, always pick God's side because the current system didn't work for them. 
but it's the rich, the people who are comfortable, who had a really hard time saying, I don't know if I should follow Jesus. So let's look at the diagram again. So you see this wall that's in between? What Jesus is saying here is really interesting. He's saying, I'm not just talking about the audience I'm talking to at this moment. You see, Jesus comes into the story in the New Testament, in the book of Luke that we're talking about. Matthew, Mark, Luke, he, that's where Jesus comes in. Before that, there are many, many books where Jesus is not walking around the earth, okay? And that's basically the Old Testament is a story of Israel. And Jesus actually, in this part of, this, of his teachings, he's referring back to the entire story of the Old Testament. This is what he's saying. He's saying in the Old Testament, God chose for him a group of people called the Jews. He's like, these were my people, right? These people, I was going to bless them and then go out into the world and bless the world. That was the plan, right? So he says, of all the people in the world, I'm going to pick you guys. And these people were like, yes, he chose us. We're going to be the ones that God's going to bless and we're going to go out there and bless the world. So he chose us and not everybody else. Okay, so we have a lot of work to do. But after a while, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll discover that these people who were chosen by God, little by little, they started thinking, wait a minute, God chose me, but not them. God chose us, but not those people over there. God chose us. There must be something special about us. So you know what we need to do? We need to make sure that, 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 that they stay as far away from us as possible because we've got to maintain his chosenness right like he chose us and who knows if he mingle with those guys he might not choose us anymore so let's let's draw a line so he's saying when i chose them when i gathered them it created a division right but there's a big problem that came about because of that you see these people they started to believe that this line this division meant that the other side were the enemy they started to believe that, that just because he chose us, not the others, that they interpret that as we are the good guys and they're the bad guys. And God says, oh, that's not the point at all. I chose you so you could bless them, not because they're the enemy and you guys are the good guys. And to address that, Jesus gives us a short parable. This is from verse 58. As you are going with your adversary, so he's like, let's just say you have an enemy. As you are going with your enemy to the magistrates, that's like court and you're talking to a judge, okay? Try hard to be reconciled on your way or your adversary, your enemy, may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. What is Jesus talking about? Like, please be more clear. <laughs> There's been a lot of different scholars who interpreted this differently, you know, from each other. And so that just tells me that, like, this is still a big mystery what this verse is about. But according to the context that was taught before and what comes next in chapter 13, we discover that this is actually talking about the Jews. What they did was they had this connection with God because God chose them. They're like, oh, God, thank you for choosing me. And not them. You chose us. This is great, right? And there's a line because he gathered people to him, and now there's a division, and there's us and them now. He's saying, now this line was originally meant to say, like, hey, I choose you so you could go and bless them. They mistook that as we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. They are adversary. We are the good guys. He says, when you were to take, if you were to take these people to the judge and say, look, God, they're the enemy. Do something about it. He says, be careful. Because when that day comes, God might look at both of you and say, yeah, I side with them, not with you. In your arrogance and thinking that you're always right because God chose you, you might end up being wrong. So if you look at what Jesus did when he's walking the earth, he befriends the people that became the them category. 
the Jews keep saying, oh, the prostitute, uh, just stay away from them. They're the enemy. They're the reason why God judges us, right? Oh, there's a tax collector. Oh, you stay over there. We're going to stay over here. And then the true judge comes. And instead of saying, good job, guys, for being so religious and pushing, pushing the p- others out of the circle, he actually ended up siding with the people that were pushed out. And he said, now you guys are going to be in jail. It's like a reversal of roles. Because we are so busy thinking the us versus them mentality, they ended up being the wrong ones. And then Jesus concludes by saying this, the people who were thrown into jail, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. You see, some people interpreted the word division as, next slide, as enemy. God gathered you. And in doing so, you're separated from the people on the outside. And instead of saying that as, seeing that as, okay, well, we're the chosen ones. Let's go and bless the people out there. They mistook us, this as, he's chosen us, so they must be the enemy. In the same way, if you have followed Jesus, it's not because you're special. I think I've seen this way too much on TV. I don't know if it happens in this church where Christians are so arrogant and we say, hey, we're the church. We have salvation. We have Jesus. Hey, we're better than you guys. No, Jesus says, be careful of that because if you approach the judge, if you approach Jesus and say, hey, like, look at us. We're the, right, we're the righteous ones. We're the right ones. Look at the sinners over there. Woo! Yeah, go ahead and burn them down and give us the Holy Spirit fire. You could give them the destruction fire. You know, whatever, right? Jesus is going to look at that and say, you're right. I'm going to side with these guys. And the problem is, in the Old Testament, the Jews saw the line as an us versus them kind of line. And he's telling his disciples, don't make the same, same mistake that we saw in the Old Testament. Jesus says, I am choosing you to become people who are the ones who are going to bless the world. Don't mistake that as you're be- that you're better than them, that you're more righteous than them, that you're starting calling the other side as adversary. They're your friends. They're your neighbors. Some interpreted division as enemy, and that was the big mistake. And then he says, God uses the separated ones to bless the others. He's like, the reason why I pulled you in in, and there's a division is so that I could bless you so you could go and bless other people. Your job is not to create an us versus them mentality. Your job is to use the blessings I've given you and bless the people around you. This is not about picking sides. This is not about who's better than who. This is about a group of people who call themselves Christians, who know that their role isn't to gloat in front of other people, but they know that the role, the role that they're playing is to bless other people. The reason why there's a line there is because God has a special mission for you to go and bless the world, to make the world a better place so that the world becomes more and more Jesus-saturated. Here's the final point. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't make you better than your neighbor. Being a follower of Jesus makes you a servant of your neighbor. You know, being a Christian has created some divisions. And I would say that's true for me. In my past, you know, in my family, I was the first to become a Christian. And it did create some kind of division in our family. But if I were to take that division and say, hey, I'm better than you. <laughs> I have Jesus and you don't. I, I, you know, I'm better than you. Know. Do you think I'm being Jesus to my family? 
If you read through the scriptures, what, this is what you discover, okay? The nations that had Christians in it, nations that, were not, uh, nations that were not Christian, nations that didn't know who God was, when there is a Godfather that comes into that family or into that nation, the nation says, we're so thankful you're here. Do we have that same effect today? We start a new job. They find out that you're a Christian. Is their first reaction, we're so glad that we have a Christian in this workplace because now our workplace is going to be blessed. Or do they say, oh, great, here's a Christian. (laughs) I mean, what kind of representation of Jesus are we to the world? Do we draw a line and say we're better than you? Or do we say, hey, there's a line. I I know there's a line right there. You could cross over if you want. You could be a Christian if you want. But it doesn't mean that you're better. It means that the workplace is going to be better. Your classroom is going to be better. Your roommate is going to feel happier for having a Christian in that same room. Our allegiance, if you call yourself a Christian, is to Jesus. And as people pondered about this, they looked at it like, oh yeah, what does it mean to be a Christian? One of the first church leaders, his name is Paul the Apostles, he, said, he looked at it and said, you know what the role of a Christian is? It's to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. What that means is, my life is no longer my own. I'm dedicating my life to do what God wants me to do with my life. And you know what? That requires me to sacrifice myself day in and day out. But I I don't want to spend my money on somebody else. But you know what? I have devoted myself to following you, Jesus, so I'm going to spend some of my money to to help that person out. But I don't want to talk to somebody of a different race. But since I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, according to your word, it seems like you really care about the people who are outside of a certain racial circle. So I'm going to go and try to talk to people who are a different race than me. Oh, there's somebody who has a different orientation, sexual orientation than me. I, I, should I just say, oh, don't want, don't want to go? Or, or wait, when I look into the Bible, it seems like the people who are outcast by society, that that becomes our priority rather than who's right and who's wrong. So I'm going to do my best to try to t- befriend these people. I mean, right? It be- might feel uncomfortable because we created a line so thick that it makes us say like, oh, we're better than you or whatever. It's time to take that line down. It's time to look at it and say, this line was in place here to make us feel better than other people. This line was given to us so that we could differentiate who God has called to go and bless the world. And to do that, and trust me, if you, you know, by the way, if you're not a Christian and people have said, hey, if you want to be a Christian, it's because, you know, you want to go to heaven. I'll give you a different pitch. The pitch is this. Do you want to become a Christian, a person who cares about the, the needs of the world more than your own? What if that's the pitch, right? <laughs> no, not many people raise their hands if I say if you want to be a Christian. Because to be a Christian means that you're going to take the, the, the lordship you have over your own life and you give it to Jesus and say, Jesus, I decided to cross over this line. I'm on your side. Now here's my life. Do whatever you want with it. In the, in the New and Old Testament, when you had complete control over your life, they used words like crown to say, if I have my crown on my head, that means that I'm in charge of my own life. And to take that crown and cast it at the feet of Jesus meant, it symbolically meant that, that now Jesus is Lord of, over my life. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to close in a time of prayer. And the worship team is going to come up and they're going to play something soft in the background. But I want you to really contemplate during this time Maybe you've been a Christian for a lot of your life, but you didn't know 
what it, to be a Christian meant to give lordship of your life over to Jesus. Maybe for you, being a Christian just meant that you're going to go to heaven after you died. But Jesus is way more concerned about how you submit your life to his will than wherever you're going to go after you die. Let's pray.